This morning, uh, I want to um, give a meditation. You know, normally I'll preach, uh, exposit a chunk of scripture, and I like doing that because then it's hopefully not just what I, what's bouncing around in my brain. But uh, this morning, I thought maybe we could meditate on Christmas a little bit, and I'll share with you some things that I think I've shared different in places in the past. But it's a good reminder, and it's a good reminder uh, for me. He gave me some time this week to write a letter to all of you that you should be getting in the email, in your email. Um, and then also go to Michael's concert, which was awesome, and get ready for Christmas. So uh, right now, let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this time of year when we remember this part of your story that, God, I think is really a key to every part of your story. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would receive your word and we would ingest your word and we would digest your word and that your word would change us. Maybe we don't really know how that happens, but, but it happens the way food changes us unconsciously. Um, Jesus, you said you were food in, in, indeed and, and drink indeed. So we pray that you would nourish us now in Jesus' name. We pray, Lord God. Amen. About uh, 35 years ago, I was sitting in this big lazy boy chair. My, my feet were up in the air. It was a Sunday afternoon. I was watching the Denver Broncos on a big screen TV. I was relaxed. I was comfortable. I didn't have to be somebody for anybody else. Susan and I were house-sitting for the Moomaws. Don Muma was the senior pastor of Bel Air Presbyterian Church in Los Angeles, California, where I happened to be employed at the time. And so it was his lazy boy, it was his big screen TV, and it was his phone that rang in the kitchen. Susan, uh, being the wonderful woman that she is, she got up and she went to get the phone in the kitchen. She was gone a minute or so, and then she came running back into the room out of breath and in a panic. So I obviously thought, oh my gosh, what's I jumped up in my, in my chair. The lazy boy, she blurted out, Peter, Nancy Reagan is on the phone. Go talk to her. And remember I said, what? what? What are you talking about? She said, well, the, I went and I answered the phone. I picked it up in this voice said, Nancy Reagan calling from Camp David for Don Muma. And then before I, could, before I knew what happened, I hear this voice on the phone going, Don, 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 is that Peter, it was Nancy Reagan. And I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. So I just said, just a minute. And I put down the phone and then they came in. She's on the phone in the kitchen. Peter, go talk to her. And, and I remember I, I looked up and I, I said, no, <laughs> you go talk to her. I mean, I didn't know what to say. I, I, I knew it was true. Don Muma, you know, was the Reagan's pastor. They had gone to the church before we had got there, but then he got this big job in Washington and, and moved to Washington. So I said, you go talk to her. I, I, I said, you go talk to her. She said, no, you go talk to her. I said, no, you go talk to her. She said, um, yeah, you go talk to her because you're the man. I remember she said that. She pulls that whenever she, she finds it convenient. And I said, no way, you talk to her. It was just, it, at the moment, it was just too much. You know, I was so relaxed. I was at peace. Nancy Reagan's a big deal. I mean, what if I messed up? 
what would I say? And so I said again, I'm not talking to her, you go talk to her. She said, no, you go talk to her, you go talk to her. It went on quite a while like, like that. Well, Nancy Reagan, the first lady, most powerful woman in the world at that time, well, Nancy waited on the phone in, in the kitchen. And finally, I won, and so Susan walked back in. She picked up the phone. She said, hello, I'm sorry, Dawn is out of town. Thanks for calling. Goodbye. And then she hung up on <laughs> Nancy Reagan. <laughs> so you see, neither of us uh, really did or, or would have talked to Nancy Reagan, the person. For the persona, the form of Nancy Reagan was so imposing. I imagine that's why so many famous people are often very lonely people. The self they've created, the persona, is so imposing that no one really connects with the person. And other persons are so intimidated by the persona, they hide their persons, they hide their heart deep inside, if, if not with fame, perhaps with shame or discombobulation, as in my case. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and the Lord God said, take off your shoes, the ground you are standing on is holy ground. I am that I am. And then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind, gird your loins and answer me. In the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. Holy, 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 the whole earth is filled with his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And an angel of the Lord appeared unto them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. And behold, in every one of these cases, they did not know quite what to say. They looked at one another, one to the other, and said, you talk to him. No, you talk to him. No, you talk to him. And, and eventually, they hung up the phone and went back to watching TV. <laughs> Have you ever wondered at how God could relate to us being so powerful, so famous, so beautiful, so good, so large, and how we could relate to him being so weak, being so fragile, so easily frightened. How, how could we truly relate heart to heart? How could we commune with God? So I was just wondering, does God ever feel like Nancy Reagan waiting on the phone? Or one of those lonely supermodels you read about whose persona, whose form, whose image is so imposing that their heart remains hidden? The central theme of the great part of the Old Testament, writes G.K. Chesterton, is the loneliness of God. Martin Buber, the theologian, wrote that we only have two kinds of relationships, I-it relationships and I-thou relationships. An I-it relationship is one in which we relate to others as objects in this world, in this world of space and time, as its. An I-thou relationship is one in which I encounter another not just as an it, but as a thou, a subject, a, a person. A person is like a, a consciousness, and everybody struggles to figure out what that is. A person is like a consciousness, a breath, a spirit, breath of God, an I that only exists in the eternal now. You can only encounter a person in the now, the present moment. A person is an I that produces a me, 
a, a, a self and it in space and time, like six foot one, 210 pound pastor that likes to watch the Broncos. You can know all about me, that self, that it, and yet I must be encountered to be truly known. And I long to be encountered and loved as I am. All real living is meeting, wrote Martin Buber. Well, anyway, I think that's why famous, powerful people, uh, they're often such lonely people. The it of that person is so imposing that it, it hides the thou, the spirit, the, the heart, the true self of that person. A few years ago, I was speaking with a pastor friend of mine on the phone, Jerry, Jerry Kirk, and he, he told me about a, a time when he did an interview for some film they were doing of a, the two-time um, winner of the Miss California pageant. He said, Peter, was, I was waiting in the room. When she entered the room, it was amazing. She was so beautiful. I, I honestly couldn't believe that she was real. I was stunned. During the interview, he, mentioned, he said he mentioned something about the love of God and described it a little bit, and he said, Peter, she started weeping. Dumbfounded, he, he stopped and said, but why are you weeping? And, and she responded, I've, I've always longed to be loved like that, and I don't know that I am. And he thought to himself, you? You of all people? And so he asked her, he said, well, what, what, what do you mean? And she said, well, my father never told me that he loved me. And I don't know if my husband loves me or my body. I don't know if any of my friends love me or just my fame. In the biographical movie, My Week with Marilyn, there's this great scene where she confides in the young man that's assigned to watch over her during this particular film shoot. She says this, please don't leave me. Everybody loves Marilyn Monroe until they find out that she's me. And then they leave. So anyway, I wonder if God ever feels like Nancy Reagan waiting on the phone in the kitchen. Or like one of those lonely uh, supermodels or two-time winners of the Miss California pageant or Marilyn Monroe. And by Marilyn Monroe, I mean Norma Jean Mortensen. Have you ever seen baby pictures of famous people? That is uh, Norma Jean Mortensen before she became Marilyn Monroe. When you see uh, baby pictures of famous people, don't you find yourself almost shocked by this alarming fact that, that this is also this? <laughs> that this is that and, and that, is, that is this? Goodbye, Norma Jean, though I never knew you at all. Blah, 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 blah. What happened to Norma Jean? Well, her person was buried in her persona, the one that we and she created. You know, a baby is a person without much persona, an I without much accumulated me, a spirit without much, without much flesh, a true self without much false self or ego or reputation, no resume. And yet, 
A mother loves a baby more than anything in this entire world. When I was a baby, I was just as much I as I am now. However, I hardly had any me, any six-foot, one-inch, 210-pound pastor who loved the Broncos. But my mom loved me just because I was. And I still long to be loved just because I am. I long to be loved unconditionally in spite of all the accumulated me. Both my, my failures and my supposed successes. George MacDonald wrote, A man must fail miserably or succeed even more miserably. To be loved for your success or your failure is not to be loved, truly. And to be loved for your success is perhaps the most painful sort of failure all the way around. Our, our gospel is that God loves each of us. He loves the person beneath the persona. James 4, 5. He yearns jealousy, jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. God loves unconditionally for he is love. And check this out. Love created every condition, right? God created every condition. He was love long before he created. He just is love. Uh, to truly know love, then we must be truly known by love. We must become like children, little children. That's what Jesus said. If, if you think you can condition God to love you, so I'll say this slowly, and then you have to meditate on this as a meditation, okay? If you think that you can condition God to love you, you cannot know unconditional love. Until you repent, that means change your mind, until you repent of that illusion. Little children have not had time to delude themselves into thinking that they have created the conditions for love. An infant simply <laughs> receives love just because an infant is an I am. Anyway, I'm just wondering if I am that I am longs to be loved by that. Not that the glory with which he covers himself is corrupt, but that perhaps that glory might hide his heart from us somehow. That, that a universe of created conditions might hide its creator who is unconditional love and creates all the conditions. I'm saying I long to be loved just because I am. And I'm asking, does God long to be loved just because he is I am? Does God long for that kind of communion? Is God lonely for us somehow? One night years ago after a busy day with my very important job talking to big people who had all sorts of good and bad opinions of me, uh, people who thought that they knew me, one night before Christmas, tired and lonely, I took my daughter into bed. That's Becky there in the middle. I think she must have been about three years old at the time. As I bent down to kiss her, as I was tucking her in bed, I remember she just grabbed my head and she pulled it down on her chest. And with her arms wrapped around my head, she said, um, uh, I'll be the big mommy and you be the little baby. <laughs> and I remember I just stopped and rested my head on her, on her chest. For a moment, I, I think I was, as she patted my head and she said, I love you, little baby. 
<laughs> I love you. She didn't know how the sermon had gone that day. She didn't know how the sermon went. She didn't have, uh, she didn't ask for any favors. Uh, she placed no blame. She held me close. She patted my head. And she knew me. She knew me better than anyone had known me that entire day. Or perhaps my entire life. She knew me. I rested, and I was so, so, so very not lonely. Anyway, I wonder if maybe that's how God felt as Mary held Jesus close to her chest. Baby Jesus, small, weak, no credentials, no favors to be done, no prayers to be answered, just baby, just person. I wonder if that's how God felt as Mary, his daughter, held Jesus, his heart, close to her heart, and talked baby talk, and whispered, I love you. I will always love you. God certainly has a form that is imposing and rather discombobulating, right? But who is God really? What is his person, his spirit, his heart? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Luke 2, 7, she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. John 1, 18, no one has ever seen God. God, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, the heart of God, he has made him known. And Mary would pick him up, pat his head, and whisper, I'll love you forever. As he suckled at her breast, she held him, stared at him, sang to him, encountered him, and when she did, she knew God. She knew the very heart of God. She knew God better than Moses knew God at the burning bush. She knew God better than Job as he gazed into the whirlwind and heard the voice like thunder, better than Isaiah in the heavenly throne room as the coal touched his lips. She held God to her breast, and she was not consumed by eternal fire. Was that because God said to Mary, you be the big mommy, and I'll be the little baby? Although he was in the form of God, writes Paul, he did not count or consider equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men. That's, that's born a baby. Why would he do that? Could it be that he wanted what all babies want? To be chattered to to be tickled, to be held, to be loved, to be known, to be encountered. I am just as I am. I am that I am, the essence, the heart of God, who alone is immortal, who dwells in unapproachable light, who no eye has seen or can see. Does that God long to be cuddled <laughs> like a baby? I mean, that seems kind of almost blasphemous. But it's his choice. It is literally his will in flesh. 
Does God long to be loved unconditionally even as he loves unconditionally? Does he long to be loved like this? I, I, um, I used to, I think I read this to you on Mother's Day. Don't mean to be too mushy, but this is the question. Does he long to be loved like this? This is this little book, Love You Forever, written by Robert Munch, illustrated by Sheila M McGraw. Let me, just, let me just read it to you. A mother held her new baby and very slowly rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while she held him, she sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. The baby grew. He grew and he grew and he grew. He grew until he was two years old and he ran all around the house. He pulled all the books off the shelves. He pulled all the food out of the refrigerator and he took his mother's watch and flushed it down the toilet. Sometimes his mother would say, this kid is driving me crazy. But at nighttime, when that two-year-old was quiet, she opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor, looked up over the side of his bed, and if he was really asleep, she picked him up and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. While she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. The little boy grew. He grew and he grew and he grew. He grew until he was nine years old, and he never wanted to come in for dinner. He never wanted to take a bath. And when Grandma visited, he always said bad words. Sometimes his mother wanted to sell him to the zoo. But at nighttime, when he was asleep, the mother quietly opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor, looked up over the side of the bed. If he was really asleep, she picked up that nine-year-old boy and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while she rocked him, she sang, I love you forever, I like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. The boy grew. He grew and he grew and he grew. He grew until he was a teenager. He had strange friends and he wore strange clothes and he listened to strange music. Sometimes his mother felt like she was in a zoo. But at nighttime, when that teenager was asleep, the mother opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor, looked up over the side of the bed. If he really was asleep, she picked up that great big boy and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. While she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby, you will be. That teenager grew. He grew and he grew and he grew. He grew until he was a grown man. He left home and got a house across town. But sometimes, on dark nights, the mother got into her car and she drove across town. If all the lights in her son's house were out, she opened his bedroom window, crawled across the floor, looked up over the side of his bed, and if that great big man was really asleep, she picked him up and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living my baby you will be. So this is the, the question. Well, first, I believe that our Lord, he, he sings over that us. He rejoices over us. That's what Scripture says. But this is the question. Do you suppose that he, he might actually long to be sung over? He loves us like that. Does he want to be loved like that by us? Because you see, this picture reminds me of another picture. 
course, that's a depiction of Mother Mary holding the body broken and the bloodshed that is her son. Matthew 12, 50, Jesus said this, Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. Do you think God might actually long to be loved like that? To be loved when he appears to be good for nothing. <laughs> Just good. Like a baby in a manger. Like a piece of bread dipped in wine, body broken and blood shed. Like a man beaten, stripped of glory, and nailed to a tree. You know, when you come to Christ and him crucified, you come to God when he's good for nothing. I mean, he can't grant any requests at that point. He, he can't work for you. He can't meet your conditions. Why? Because he's emptied himself. And so he's good for nothing, just good. When you come to the cross and you worship him there, you love God when he's good for nothing, just good. At the cross, you love the person of God stripped of his persona. You love God stripped of the form of God, to use Paul's words. To, to love God, you, you, you love God for who he is, who I am is. You love I am. So do you think God longs to be loved like that? The very way that he always loves you. You know, the eternal covenant reveals that God has always sung and will always sing over you. I love you forever. I like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, my son, my daughter, my bride, and my mother, you will be. Well, that mother, she got older. She got older and older and older. One day she called up her son and said, you better come see me because I'm very old and sick. So her son came to see her. When he came in the door, she tried to sing the song. She sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. But she couldn't finish because she was too old and sick. The son went to his mother. He picked her up and rocked her back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and he sang this song. I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my mommy, you will be. God loves you like that, and he always has. So does God long to be loved like that? How could we ever love him like that? When he's good for nothing, just good. Every Christmas now for, I don't know, maybe like 20, 30 years or longer, because I think it was back then when I first read this story. I, I find myself, this true story, I, I find myself thinking about Mrs. McGrath. 
1974, Chicago had a really severe winter. At one point, many of the roofs were just overloaded with this abundance of snow. That was when Robert McGrath saw his wife go into the backyard garage to fetch some, some boxes. Seconds later, he heard this loud crash, and looking out of the, the window, he saw that the garage roof had caved in. Immediately, he responded, running from house to the house, grabbing his coat, yelling to the neighbors to come and help. He grabbed the snow shovel. He began to dig frantically through the debris. Sweat froze to his face. He frantically would pull away the boards, flinging them through the air, and then, and then finally he, he heard a sound. He saw a hand digging, throwing, pulling. Within minutes, his wife was safe in his arms as he broke down in these huge sobs, just crying, Are you okay? Are you okay? I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Are you okay? And she was. It would remain a secret to this day, except a neighbor saw and snitched to the media and then to Paul Harvey. Mrs. McGrath had gone into the, she'd gone into the garage through one door, but she had come out uh, another door. She was safe in the house when she looked out and saw her husband digging and shouting orders, searching frantically through the, the lumber. It was then that she put her coat back on. She snuck back out. She snuck back in through a bat, the back door of the garage, and she covered herself with some debris, and then she waited for her gallant husband, Bob, to save her. <laughs> See, I just wonder if God is like doing that all the time. Sneaking into mangers and baby cribs. So moms will pick him up and hold him tightly against their breast. Sneaking into the destitute, hoping that you would love him when he seems to be good for nothing. Just good, buried in poverty. Sneaking into vagrants and addicts and even those utterly laced with evil in the hope that you would sacrifice yourself to find him buried and hidden there. Maybe he's constantly sneaking into catastrophic failure like Mrs. McGrath snuck into the garage and covered herself in broken timbers and garbage. Maybe he only appears to be unconscious and helpless like Mrs. McGrath, although he is entirely conscious of you and your spirit burning within you. He, his spirit burning within you. He's helping you. Help him. Maybe he constantly longs to save and be saved. Just as he longs to love and be loved, just as every member in your body constantly longs to give and receive life, the life that is in the blood. Maybe he's just like Mrs. McGrath, and one day you will actually hear him say, whatever you did unto the last and the least of these, you did to me. What are the last and the least of these but persons without much persona? And this is wild, but in every person, under their success, their failure, under their pride and their shame, is a baby. And in that baby, the breath of God. Maybe you could just love them because I am is. Love them without conditions, the way God loves you, the way you love a baby, and that would be good. Maybe that would even be good for nothing just good, I mean the ground of all good, I, I mean God. 
So what does I am want for Christmas? The wise men, you know, brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Stupid, stupid, stupid wise men. What does a baby want with gold, frankincense, and myrrh? For that matter, what does God want with gold, frankincense, and myrrh? See, I think it turns out that God and babies want the same thing. They want you. They want to be held close to your heart, resting on your chest. They want to be chattered to in love. They want to hear you saying, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my beloved, you will be. Maybe God wants what every baby wants. Maybe God wants what he wanted that very first Christmas, but how could we give it to him? Well, here are a few ideas. Number one, you could love the people around you unconditionally. In just a few moments, you will surrounded, you'll be surrounded by scores of dilapidated, mangy, run-down old mangers. And in them, the breath of God. You could love God in a manger. Number two, you could love God on a cross unconditionally just for who he is, for who I am is, body broken and blood shed. And, and number three, you could love God in the manger that is you. Now, this scares you sometimes, but you know that thing in you that longs to love and be loved? You know that thing in you that burned, that hoped while I was telling these stories? It might have even kind of hurt. You know that thing in you that reflects on you, the you that uh, looks at you? You see, I don't think that's just you. Faith, hope, and love in you is not just you. That's God in you. And so maybe you could even whisper into the depths of your own soul, Merry Christmas. I wish you a Merry Christmas. Maybe you could love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you could love your neighbor as yourself. For on that night that we all betrayed him, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. And he took the cup, saying, this is the covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. And so we invite you to come forward, tear off a piece of the bread, and dip it in the cup and adore him. You know, the Catholics have this thing called the adoration of the host, and it kind of, I think it gets corrupted because we confuse bread and wine with exactly what it means, and there's this mystery here I don't understand, but I think we are to adore him for who he is. And then an amazing thing happens that, that, that seems like a terrible mixing of metaphors, and I don't even think it's a mixing of metaphors. I think it's this profound truth, um, and that is that he asks us to place him in the manger. <laughs> Do you understand? That's how much he longs to be with you. So this Christmas, be with him. Amen.
By the way, Emmanuel means God with us. <laughs> I think that tells us a little bit about what he wants for us to be with him. So, Lord God, I thank you that your love has rescued me. I thank you for how your love rescued me. Jesus, I thank you that your name means God is salvation, so it's not like you only saved us at the cross. That was a revelation of your salvation once and for all time. But you were rescuing me when you became a baby. And not just because you had to be a baby before you had to be a man, because you have that power to just zap me, and, and I'm sure you do. But you rescued me as a baby, and this is the thing that blows my mind. Babies always need rescuing. Seems to me a cow could have stepped on your head, or who knows, Lord Jesus. And yet you arranged it so that we would pick you up so that we would hold you tightly to ourselves, so that we would speak baby talk to you, and you were rescuing us from our isolation, from our loneliness, from our fear. So hallelujah, what a Savior. Your love has rescued me by even making it so that I would want to rescue you in the last and the least, in the hurting, and the people around me. God, you are really an amazing Savior. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. So maybe he loves to rescue and to be rescued. And he rescues us from loneliness. Clearly, God in his eternal and essential nature is not lonely. He's three persons and one substance called love. But God in the Garden of Gethsemane, asking Peter, James, and John just to sit with him, he was lonely. And God hanging on the tree in the garden crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think he was lonely. Emmanuel, God with us. Maybe he longs for us to simply to just be with him, too. <laughs> Amazing that that's what he wants. Turns out that's what we think uh, Nancy Reagan wanted that day in California. It came out on the news the next day that that former day, her husband, Ronald, you may have heard of him, had been diagnosed with colon cancer. You see why she was calling? She, she just wanted someone to talk to most powerful woman in the world, and she just wanted someone to talk to. Well, God would just like to be with you. So at Christmas, be with him. Talk to him. Baby words will do. Abba, 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 Abba. He loves you. Love him too. Believe the gospel in Jesus' name, and Merry Christmas. <laughs>